Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mike. Lauren. Have you made your deposit yet for your Tesla Cybertruck? Uh, no, I have not. It's only, I think, $100. Yeah, well, it's not exactly the deposit that is uh, holding me back from uh, investing in the Cybertruck. <laughs> Say more. Uh, well, you know, there's structural concerns. Was that shattered glass on stage, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, not just that, but like the leaking, the breaking, the noise, okay. the design. <laughs> okay, let's save it for the show. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. We're also joined this week by Wired staff writer Ariane Marshall and Wired senior editor Jeremy White. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. It's great to have you on the show. Ariane is joining us from Seattle and Jeremy is in the UK. So if you'll indulge us, let's go back in time to a pre-pandemic world. It was November of 2019. There was excitement and optimism in the air, well, for some of us, and Tesla man Elon Musk walked on stage during a live-streamed event to present another feat of mechanical engineering genius, the Cybertruck. It was big, it was beefy, it was supposedly indestructible. Except, well, it wasn't. The unbreakable window shattered. And it turns out that is not the only busted thing in the Cybertruck. Leaked documents, which Ariane and Jeremy have been reporting on in recent days for Wired, just revealed a lot of disturbing details about the Cybertruck, which so far has not shipped. These leaks highlight problems with the truck's suspension, handling, and braking that have kept the vehicle from being released. So Ariane and Jeremy, let's quickly put this into context. This kind of vehicle is really structurally unlike a lot of standard cars. And yet the fact that the alpha version of this vehicle from Tesla has had so many problems seems significant. What's initially your big takeaway from these leaked documents? Jeremy, let's go to you first. 
Well, the, the biggest takeaway um, on doing the reporting for this was not that the the car should be, or the truck, sorry, should be experiencing problems in development. This is common, they all should. But it's the, the, the fact that these were such fundamental problems with uh, the alpha build of the car. So, you know, it, they should have been, it sort of de- detailed how they should have been further down the road, really, with the development of the vehicle, considering how long it had been development. And so the report sort of revealed, you know, the sort of how much had yet to be done at that stage in 2022. And is this kind of report at this stage of vehicle development common? Also, I should I just want to ask, what is an alpha version of a car? Well, the alpha version is is the first version, the first prototype version. So there's going to be stuff wrong with this. There's going to be lots wrong with this. And these sorts of issues with alpha versions are common. You expect to get them. But it's a matter of of uh, how, how bad the problems were. So yes, it should have problems with braking. Yes, it should have problems with handling. Uh, yes, it should have some structural issues as well. But it was the degree to which the, the report outlaid these problems uh, and detailed sort of like, you know, sometimes from the from the solutions column in the report that uh, we got a look at, uh, some of them, some of them actually said, um, "We don't have a solution for this," or "We're not quite sure yet." So the report has shown that this alpha version of the Cybertruck still has problems with suspension, body sealing, noise levels, handling, and braking. Can you take us through each of those uh, and what sorts of problems there are, and what the expectations would be at this stage of production of a normal vehicle? Okay. Um, so this report was dated. I think it's quite important to go through the timeline of when this report was. So this was dated January 25th, 2022. So we're looking at something that's, you know, a year and a half old. And so there will have been significant advances since then. Um, but interestingly, a lot went on on that particular day. So Musk actually tweeted that day that he'd been driving the vehicle and uh, it was awesome and was having a great time in it. Um also, the very next day, Musk did a, a, an investor's call where the Cybertruck was discussed and he talked about how he was going to be pushing back the Cybertruck, but not because of the problems with the vehicle, um, but because it was going to be, impact the production of all vehicles for Tesla. So that was the reason there. And uh, we, you know, it seems perfectly plausible. But with regards to the actual problems of the car, the truck, sorry, um, I'm British. We don't have trucks. Because of the so ceiling, this is literally making sure the car is watertight and noise proof because ceiling also stops noise getting in. Um, and so this alpha version, because they'd never built a truck before, it had to be hand sealed. So you had people in there actually sealing. No robots doing this. They're, they're sealing it with, you know, with, with mastic and body adhesive. And even after they did that, they talked about how there were multiple holes in the in the sealant, literal holes where noise can get in. And so that's the one of the major challenges there. Um, and then handling, you know, um, there were a number of issues there. It talk, the report talked about excessive mid-speed abruptness and chop, um, high head toss accelerations, which is basically what you think it is. It's when you floor it and your head goes all the way back. And, uh, you know, but it's, it does it a bit too much. So like, no, that's that's far too aggressive. And then more, you know, worrying things like structural shake and excessive lateral jerk during low speed manoeuvring. So basically it's painting a picture of a car that is not fun to be in 
while you're actually driving around in it. There's lots of noise. There's lots of lots of you know shaking going on. Lots of st- uh, stuff that you shouldn't be experiencing. And then braking. They hadn't even got to the brakes yet. The braking performance was very poor. Um, and then the final one, really, final ones were something weird called kinematics and compliance, which is really an overall handling test for the vehicle. And uh, it, it, that talks about significant gaps to targets in that. And when it talks about things like too high a camber gain and things like that, um, the report actually states in the solutions column, possibly none, which is mm. worrying as well. Um, and then, you know, torsional stiffness, really, which is a, a very boring phrase for how stiff the car is, really. All all trucks and cars need to be able to twist, but not too much, not too little. You can't have something too rigid. And you can't have something too bendy either. Um, and um, this is quite easy because we've been simulating this in the automotive world for a long time. So it's quite easy to simulate and then get to close to those targets. What was strange about this in the reporting that we did and the people we spoke to, something that's you know, when you're, when you're way off those targets, that's very surprising because you shouldn't be off those targets because the simulation simulation software for this sort of stuff is, you know, well advanced. But also when you've got that sort of problem, it's incredibly hard to fix. And the reason it's hard to fix is because you've got your chassis, you've got your body, and the, it's a big issue because the only way to do it is to strap in more metal and therefore add weight, and it compromises the design of the vehicle. And there's not really much else you can do apart from that. A person you spoke to for the story seemed befuddled by the fact that the company hadn't fixed some of these issues at the time of the report, given Tesla's financial resources and, you know, its supposed engineering talent. So so why hadn't these issues been fixed? Well, the thing is, this is, as you say, this is a report from January 2022. So it actually is highly likely that a lot of this will have been fixed by now. But it's the, the, the point the story is making is the is that at that stage, uh, when the truck had been in development for, you know, it was announced in 2019. Um, and here we are in 2022. And I think it was originally said it was, oh, we're going to bring it to market in 2021. So, you know, at that late stage, it was all this stuff was still being worked out. And so there is no doubt, really. I mean, that's the one key thing to bring out from this report is that in no way is it a is it you know a death blow to the Cybertruck? This report does not say that it's beyond fixing and it is irreparably broken. Um, it's just going. There are loads of things wrong with it at this stage or that stage. In back in January last year, and our you know our sources were saying like, look, these will have been fixed by now. They've got very good engineers. They've got lots of money, um, but you know, it, like at that stage, they shouldn't have been such an issue. So. You say in your story that it is, quote, astronomically unlikely that Tesla will cancel the Cybertruck. So what happens now? Well, that's an interesting question, because this is only one report of the Cybertruck. This is the the noise, vibration and harshness, the NVH report and the structural report. So um, we're talking about handling and we're talking about noise and shake and things like that. And that's all we're talking about here. We're not talking, you know, we're not talking about battery performance. We're not talking about software. We're not talking about all the other issues that make the car self-driving, all that sort of stuff. We're just talking about the, the, the building blocks, the foundation of the truck itself. And so you would have thought that by now this stuff has been fixed to whatever degree it could be fixed. And now they've moved on to 
the later stages of the vehicle. They must be uh, beyond a beta by now. And uh, you would hope they are going to, after multiple delays to the project, that it would all come out with a bit of luck and a following wind in 2024. But who knows, it could be delayed yet again. And something that happened just this week, so after our story published, is that a uh, another, um, maybe a prototype, maybe a production version of the Cybertruck was spotted on the streets of Palo Alto and in Mountain View. Where um, else would it happen? <laughs> there was video published this week that showed a uh, Cybertruck wrapped in this kind of camo stuff they put it in um, when it's a an early production version actually going through an in and out drive through <laughs> in Mountain View. Um, so clearly they're kind of getting ready to show this thing off and they're uh, clearly trying to make the point that this is a real truck that exists that will soon make its way to customers' driveways. Ariane, I definitely want to hear more about that, uh, particularly what that person ordered at In-N-Out. But I really want to hear about is where the Cybertruck fits into Tesla's bigger picture. But let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with more Cybertalk. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids, what's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so it's impossible to talk about Tesla without talking about Elon Musk. While he's not a founder of Tesla in the traditional sense, Musk actually joined after the company was incorporated by Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpenning. Elon Musk's name is now synonymous with Tesla. And admittedly, he's part of the whole appeal of Tesla, right? And driving one of those vehicles. But Musk has been distracted lately. He now owns Twitter, which takes up a lot of metaphorical oxygen in the room. And meanwhile, Ariane and Jeremy, your story notes that Tesla hasn't actually released a new Tesla vehicle in a good long while. So, Ariane, how important is it that Tesla get the Cybertruck right 
even if it's going to appeal to relatively few people. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time talking to folks about this and I'd say uh, people have different opinions. Um, But in general, what I heard from folks who really focus on Tesla um, and who analyze Tesla full time as their jobs is that the Cybertruck is not the biggest deal for Tesla in the end. It's kind of a um, symbolic vehicle for them um, because it does look so different and because uh, trucks are so important, particularly in the American market. Um, it's good for them to get into the truck segment uh, in the U.S., but it was never expected to be a huge winner. And I think that's partly because it looks so weird. And that's going to weed out um, some customers who might otherwise be interested in electric trucks, but like don't necessarily want everyone to stare at them as they drive down the road. There are some people like that, and they're going to love when people stare at them as they drive their Cybertruck down the road. But this is not a make or break vehicle for Tesla is the consensus that I've heard. Can you talk a little bit more about the pickup truck market, particularly in the U.S.? Yeah, pickup trucks are a huge deal in the U.S. They are uh, the number one selling vehicles here. And that's partly because Americans just drive a lot and seem to like the idea that they can carry around a lot of stuff, even if they're not necessarily carrying around a lot of stuff. (laughs) And the other reason is because they're really great for automakers. They are very high margin vehicles. Um, Automakers have pulled this trick where they've convinced customers to pay more for pickup trucks, even though they don't actually cost that much more to build. Um, So that means they make more money off them. So it's a real win-win here in America on pickup trucks. I had no idea about the margins of pickup trucks. That's fascinating. Okay, so now we're starting to see not just the Cybertruck, but other electric pickup trucks. What's the market like for those? It's developing, I'd say. Um, When Cybertruck was announced in 2019, it seemed like it was going to be the first EV truck to market. That has not happened because of these delays. Um, Ford has beaten them with its F-150 Lightning, which has proved pretty popular. They sold about I think around 16,000 of them last year. A number of other electric automakers, including the startup Rivian. Um, It's looking like GM has beaten them to market. So there are definitely a lot of competitors out there in the EV truck market. I'm starting to see a lot more Rivians in San Francisco. Someone down the street from me has one. I saw a Rivian SUV at a charging station, and it was taking up two spots (laughs) at the charging station because it was so large. They are really big. They're really big cars. Um, Okay, moving away from trucks for a moment, though, Ariane, how is Tesla currently performing just in the broader EV market compared to, say, Ford or Toyota? Tesla is still definitely the undisputed leader in electrics at this point. Um, It's sold something like 4 million vehicles globally, and that's a lot more than a lot of other automakers. Um, There are folks catching up, though, and Tesla has reason to worry now. The major automakers who are very good at production, very good at announcing things and getting them out on time, um, are really catching up with them. There's an open question whether Tesla will have to start releasing cars and new cars more regularly. Other automakers have accustomed us to every year we get a new car. Tesla hasn't done that. And that sort of upended the conventional thinking on how to produce and design cars. 
But I think now that there are other automakers who are giving customers more options, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how Tesla shakes out and whether it continues to be the leader here. The company has a lot of priorities, right? Um, the Mexico factory, uh, they need to refine and roll out full self-driving. They've also committed to delivering a, a family EV that costs under 30000 US. Where are new cars and particularly a Cybertruck in that list mm -hmm. of priorities? Not to mention the Gigafactory. Oh, right. Yes, yes. The, big, the big battery factory. Yeah. I think that question depends on who you ask. So probably if you ask Elon Musk, because the Cybertruck is such a interesting looking thing and such an important symbol for Tesla, I'd say Cybertruck is probably pretty important to him. But when you talk to analysts and people who work on Wall Street, um, they will tell you that the big thing they are interested in is full self-driving, which is uh, Tesla's semi-automated feature that in theory is supposed to allow the car to drive with human supervision. That has been rolled out really widely. Um, Wall Street loves that because it's a subscription and it's a way for Tesla to make money through software, which is incredibly high margin, much more high margin than cars. So that's something that people who follow Tesla are really much more interested in. Mm. And so just to be clear, the full self-driving that we're talking about, that's different from the autopilot mode that is currently deployed in the cars? So full self-driving is part of autopilot. And full self-driving is sort of misleading as a product name because it doesn't actually do all the driving for you. It can do driving in some particular situations. But something new that Tesla has released just in the past few years in beta form is what they call it, is that it can do more automated driving on regular streets, regular roads with stop signs and pedestrians and traffic lights, as opposed to before when you were only supposed to use it on the highway. Mm. But the, the Washington Post recently reported that crashes involving Tesla autopilot have surged in recent years. According to the report, 736 U.S. crashes since 2019 involving Teslas in autopilot mode, which is actually far more than was previously reported. Um, and they analyzed the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration data in order to extrapolate that number. What actually needs to happen in order for full self-driving to become not only a reality, but safer? And what's the counter argument there? And we hear this a lot. How, how does this compare to all vehicular crashes of non-self-driving vehicles and what's Tesla's position on that? Yeah, the thing that's so frustrating about Tesla is that you get these reports about how autopilot and specifically the full self-driving software is working and we're all missing the denominator. Um, so we don't know exactly how many miles are being driven on autopilot where it's being driven, it's actually much safer to drive on a highway than anywhere else. So if most of these miles are being driven on a highway, then you would expect them to have a lower crash rate than all other vehicles. Um, and until we really get a good look at that denominator, it's hard to make really definitive statements about that safety. I will say that the um, the traffic safety regulator in the U.S., which is called NHTSA has an open investigation into autopilot. They actually compelled Tesla to recall some of their full self-driving software 
earlier this year, Tesla came out and said it didn't agree with that, but it did end up recalling part of that software through over-the-air updates. Um, so to, I'm answering your question with another set of questions. Um, and I think uh, once we see governments really force Tesla to release in more information, it will be clearer how safe this technology actually is. Jeremy, you try a lot of different vehicles. Have you ever tried full self-driving? Uh, no, because it's not allowed here in the uh, in the UK. Interesting. Um, we can use Ford's Blue Cruise. That's recently been turned on for motorway driving. Um, and so this is, you know, all new. But the thing to mention here really is that we don't have much comparison. Uh, Tesla is out in front in terms of this in terms of this technology. But the other automakers did try this. It's interesting, actually, that the Audi, when it brought out the A8 a few years ago, I think as long ago as, you know, like three, four years ago, it had all the tech in it for level three uh, autonomous driving, motorway driving. And they were thinking the regulators would allow it and they were going to just turn it on, use it you know, as a subscription model. And that never happened. So now the new versions of the Audi A8 no longer have that tech in it. So there are some lucky people driving around in old two, three-year-old Audi A8s with all that expensive tech in it that they've Audi have since decided to remove from the cars while they wait for regulation to catch up. And that's why... <laughs> I have to say, that know. is absolutely the thing I would not want. I wouldn't like, yeah, you know, I'm driving around a three-year-old vehicle that has self-driving car tech that is not approved and they're no longer supporting, but it works great. <laughs> oh, no, Don't worry. Go ahead. Cross in front of me. <laughs> yes. You're not allowed to use it. They haven't turned it on. Oh, okay. Uh, but, it's, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's just yeah, it's just costing Audi an enormous amount of money to put it into the car. And they think, oh, yeah, we'll just turn it on at some point. And they're going, oh, no, it's going to take ages. So I'm never going to turn this on. Stop putting it in the cars, for heaven's sake. It's costing us a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this honestly is is no laughing matter. Uh, we are we. It feels like for years now we've been on the cusp of this paradigm shift around self driving vehicles, but there's still so many concerns around it, and there is a disproportionate amount of attention paid to Tesla. Partly because of Elon Musk, uh, partly because the cars have a certain amount of sex appeal, but it brings a lot of attention and conversation to the forefront when there are crashes involving autopilot mode. Or, you know, if the window shatters on a Cybertruck. <laughs> if you wanted to talk something about about where Musk is going with this, one of the interesting things is is the is the fact that with this new factory, they're trying to remodel, try to completely redo 100 years worth of vehicle manufacture. So they're looking at that linear production line and going, we can, how can we make that better? They're going to say, oh, well, we're going to try and let's do it so we can completely you know, revolutionize it and do it in segments or in big groups rather so we can increase the efficiency of making these cars by about you know, 40, 50 percent. And they're relying on that for something called vehicle to chassis technology, where basically the battery becomes the floor of the, the, the part of the chassis of the vehicle. And then the entire interior goes in from the bottom up to the cut to the car. And the, all of this reduces the amount of parts you need and the time and number of people you need to actually put the cars together in theory. And so what they want to do is, you know, try to revolutionize how cars are made and the old manufacturers know how to do it they've been doing it for god knows how long whereas musk and tesla are coming at it with sort of well, how can we change that and if they get that right that'll be amazing but one of the downsides of that is that 
you could argue that doing it that new way allows the possibility of more faults to creep into the process. That's super interesting. All right. Thanks to the both of you for your really excellent reporting. Everyone can check out Ariane and Jeremy's story on Wired.com. We're going to add that link in the show notes. But let's take another quick break and come back with our favorite segment, which is recommendations. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Ariane, what is your recommendation this week? Okay, I don't like to spend a lot of money on things as a rule, but I have had the frustrating experience of splurging for a tech product and having it be really great Um, which is annoying. Um, Say more. But I bought these Shocks Open Run Mini, because I have a small head, um, which are these running headphones or really just Bluetooth headphones. Um, They are great because they're bone conduction, which means that I can run or just be outside and also hear everything that's going on uh, around me. I run in downtown Seattle. There's a lot going on. It's good to be able to hear everything that's going on. And these are so great. It's so, it's so depressing because they're, I could spend a lot less on Bluetooth headphones, but I have been forced to buy these and they're really wonderful. And by bone conduction, that means they don't actually go in your ear canal, right? They, they're like resting outside. Correct. Yeah. They go over your ear. And as a result, they have a little bit of sound leakage, which I'm a little embarrassed about. I don't know why. We can analyze that in my psyche later. Um, But they actually work great. And I feel really safe when I'm using them, which is really cool. How much are they when you say expensive? So I think they are $120 for the mini version. Um, I found a 20% off code, which I recommend. (laughs) That's not bad. No, that's that's not. not It's less than AirPods. Yeah. Yeah. Most people are accustomed thanks to Apple. Oh, yeah. Definitely less than AirPods. Yeah. Yeah. Wow throwing my airpods in the trash right now don't just kidding i'm not was that on the uh the wire.com discount page by any chance <laughs> oh maybe that's a good place to check jeremy is making sure that you are participating in our affiliate link program ariane <laughs> helps fund our journalism <laughs> it does <laughs> jeremy have you tried those have i tried the the ear shocks no i haven't oh i love that's very odd i tried bone conducting headphones once while for swimming mm-hmm. that was pretty unusual They feel a little weird. Well, thank you for that recommendation. Jeremy, what's your recommendation? Well, I I have two. uh, One obvious uh, uh, wire type one, which is season two, Strange New Worlds, you know, Star Trek. I'm sorry. You know, I can't. I have to, you know, apologize for my nerdiness, but watch it. It's brilliant. Anyway, um, and uh, (laughs) the next one. But the other one, my other recommendation was to ask you to not do something. I travel a lot for the job. And I come to America a lot and go to other different countries. And I I bring tea bags with me. 
um, being British. And I can't stand the fancy, expensive tea bags that I get in America and in other countries as well. Those awful sort of silk, nylon type tea bags, which are just, first of all, they're crap. They don't work. They're dreadful. And what you need to do, obviously, is they're bad for the environment as well. They're microplastics. Uh, that's what you're talking about there. Um, they are, you know, really a, a, a 2019 study from the McGill University of Montreal found nylon tea bags leach billions of microplastics into every single cup of tea. And what? so uh, they, it's just really bad for you. And, um, and also the funny thing was I was reading this piece about it. And uh, the researchers found when they experimented with feeding the plastics uh, to microscopic shrimp-like creatures called water fleas, the fleas just wigged out um, and uh, they swam, quotes, crazily after exposure to the plastics, which really stressed them out, apparently. Um, and then also they became unnaturally ballooned in weight, a worrisome effect, it says here, which the researchers believe warrants further study. So get some property and make it properly as well which means which means milk last not first and oh my gosh wait wait Can we this is first of all this is so incredibly on brand i'm so pleased that we have brought our british colleague on the show to chastise us on our terrible tea habits here in the states but you're saying bring proper tea it sounds like you travel with tea so what is the proper tea and how do you travel with it then well okay you know if you're actually wanting um proper tea um, you know, loose proper, leaf stuff. Proper, that Lo is what I would like, yes. Loose leaf stuff, you can bring that with you. And then obviously mm -hmm. you're going to need strainers and all that sort of business. But also, us Brits really aren't that, you know, discerning in terms of, we just want what we call builder's tea, which is mm -hmm. which is PG tips, which is, you know, the, the paper tea bags, the normal ordinary tea bags that aren't trying Mike, to be Mike is pumping his fist right now <laughs> in support. Please continue. <laughs> That's it. We just, you know, don't go fancy. Don't try and add in this microplastic nonsense. Just have a normal bloody cup of tea. It's really lovely and, you know, much better than coffee. There you go. I said it. <gasps> you know, and, then, and then you put the milk in next. Um, this is a splash of milk or this is like a quarter cup. Like how much milk are you using? Well, it's a, it's a milk to taste sort of thing, really. It's okay. really up to you how strong you want it. Um, if you're talking Earl Grey or Darjeeling, then if you put milk in, I'll kill you. And uh, if if you but normal tea, no, normal builder's tea, just straight breakfast tea, you you put milk in it. Otherwise, it's not very nice. And um, and you put you don't put it in first. People think it's fancy to put the milk in first. No, it's milk last. And actually. Um, someone interviewed the Queen's butler once and uh, for the definitive answer on that question. And it is indeed milk second. <laughs> oh, oh. And how do you feel about sweeteners in the tea, like honey? Well, if you must, yes. You know, honey's good. Um, don't use artificial sweeteners. Well, but not very good for you. Right. I happen to stay away from those as well. But I do use, I buy a lot of honey here that's local in Half Moon Bay and I love it yep. and I, I liberally use honey in my in my tea and then if I must admit my coffee mm. I know squeeze <laughs> a lemon so you so I, if I'm understanding correctly you buy the PG tips loose leaf tea no and then you know you, no, you don't <laughs> no no you can get loose leaf if you want to be fancy what I do is I bring with me bog standard 
paper ba- paper tea bags called PG Tips, which is the main brand in the UK. Got it. You, okay. You would have um, like over there uh, Twinings or something like that. Sorry. Oh, yeah, we get, or Bigelow. We get, or... we get PG Tips. We also have we electricity. Um, um, we do. We do. Yeah, we have. Yeah, occasionally okay, so that works. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, no, I mean I've been to the UK. I've had a proper tea, but but this is really I'm I think I am doing my tea all wrong, and I do put milk in the cup first because I'm impatient. So while I'm waiting for the kettle to boil. I do use a kettle. I don't microwave the water, but I, I, I put the I put the milk in and honey in while I'm waiting. That's it. That's a, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I have a different, Jeremy. I have a different view of you now, Lauren. Different I'm gonna change. You know what? I'm gonna change my life. This is this is brilliant. This is like I feel like we should have an entire podcast just talking about tea. <laughs> we did just now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on, Mike. What is your recommendation on our next episode? Mike's recommendation. <laughs> Um, I'm going to recommend a podcast. Okay. Do you put your milk in before or after you listen to the podcast? (laughs) It's called This Little Light, and it's hosted by Flea, a.k.a. Michael Balsery, the bass player from the head rot pilly cheppers. Um, Flea is a musician, obviously. He's also an author and a very good podcast host and a very good interviewer. And this is a new-ish show. Uh, shout out to my my main man, Casey, for turning me on to it. Uh, it's been around for a few months, and so far the guest list has been incredible. People like Patti Smith, Margot Price, Thundercat, Stuart Copeland, Rick Rubin. Uh, Flea talks to all of them about their relationship with music. So they're all musicians or people who are musician adjacent, and they all talk about how they got into music, uh, how it affects their lives, um, what their what their work days are like, what their routines for writing and recording and performing are. Uh, so as a person who plays an instrument and takes uh, a lot of pleasure in hearing how other musicians operate, uh, to me, it's a dream. It's a really great show. And uh, I love Flea. He's a wonderful man. What would you say is the first episode people should listen to? What's the what's the best on ramp to that show? Uh, the very first one with Rick Rubin is mm-hmm. very good. Yeah, Rick's your boy. You've yep. mentioned him before on this show quite a bit. He's good. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, I would say the Thundercat one is quite entertaining, and the Patty Smith one is also very good because Patty has a very unique uh, style about how she speaks and how she works. Nice. Yeah. What's your recommendation? All right. I do have two. The first is I've mentioned Smartless on this podcast before because I'm very into the Smartless podcast. They have great guests. It's uh, it's pretty bro-y, but these guys are really funny. There is a docuseries of them going on tour on, I'm pretty sure it's Max, HBO Max. Um, started watching it last night. Was practically crying with laughter. It is so funny. Uh, just seeing these guys like in hotel. I mean, literally, it's just like seeing them interact with each other in hotel rooms and and like I'm loving it so far. Anyway, that's not my actual recommendation this week. But if you are a Smartless fan, you would probably enjoy that. My recommendation, I finally read another book. Um, really trying to crank through books this year. Jennifer Egan's The Candy House. It's a fiction book about, um, well, it's about all these different characters, as is the Egan way, and their lives intersect in different ways, and the timeline jumps around a bit. But I would say the primary concept is about a person who develops a consciousness-capturing machine. It's a way to download your memories, all of your life's memories, to a cube, 
and then either share those with people around you, those closest to you, or upload it to some kind of public consciousness where others can then see gray grabs of your memory and piece together parts of history based on it. Uh, it's very high concept and futuristic and slightly dystopian, but also says, I think, a lot about our human instinct around memories and legacy and identity. Um, and uh, it's a topic I'm very interested in, and I really enjoy the book. So nice. I recommend Jennifer Egan's The Candy House. Nice. Came out in 2022. And that's my recommendation. Awesome. All right. That's our show for this week. Ariane and Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. We learned so much about Tesla and tea. I mean, really, it's just a fantastic show. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Does the Cybertruck have a travel mug sized cup holder is what I want to know. Well, it's going to have some sort of tea dispenser in it as well at the back, I imagine. Ah, fit for a queen. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter, Mastodon, all the places. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth, who has just disappeared to make himself a cup of tea. We'll be back next week. Goodbye until then. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. From PR.